welcome to Annual Reviews Audio, part of the conversation series from Annual Reviews, where insightful research begins. I'm your host, Anna Rasquat-Paz. In each episode of our show, we feature top scientists in fields ranging from astrophysics to sociology. In this episode, Nico Geldner, assistant professor of plant cell biology at the University of Lausanne, talks about his article, The Endodermis, which he wrote for the 2013 Annual Review of Plant Biology. The need for multicellular organisms to protect their inner extracellular space led the organisms to develop a diffusion barrier that can remain as selective as the hydrophobic plasma membrane of cells. In animal biology, this barrier is known as the polarized epithelium, which absorbs nutrients but keeps pathogens and excess away. In this lecture, Dr. Geldner discusses the endodermis, the plant variant of the polarized epithelium. Located on the plant's roots, it has been a feature of ferns and angiosperms for approximately 400 million years. Hello, I'm Nico Geldner. I'm an associate professor at the University of Lausanne in Switzerland. And today I would like to talk to you about uh, a review that I wrote for the annual reviews in plant biology series that I entitled The Endodermis. If you ponder about the origins of multicellularity, then you realize that these organisms must have been faced with a problem of how to control access to their extracellular space in between their cells uh, that had become a part of their body now. And this inner extracellular space can often be a very important part of the, of the body. Just consider our blood vessels or the vascular tissue of plants, for example. Now, individual cells con can control what's going in and out of them because of their hydrophobic outer membrane and this amazing set of um, selective gatekeepers, the transporters, channels, uh, pumps and receptors uh, that are part of the plasma membrane. In order for a multicellular organism to extend its control to the cell's interior, to this inner extracellular space, it needed to invent an extracellular diffusion barrier, but one that would remain just as selective as the plasma membrane of cells. And what multicellular organisms came up with is called a polarized epithelium, an astonishing supercellular structure that features ring-like junctions that seal the extracellular space and force nutrients and element to be taken up by the plasma membrane of these epithelial cells. As a consequence, cells had to become polarized, displaying a different composition of proteins at their outward-facing membrane than at their inward-facing membrane, and thus allowing for an efficient transport of nutrients uh, across this epithelial cell layer, efficient, directional, and highly selective. A polarized epithelium therefore has two critical features, a coordinated polarity of all cells in the layer and a tight ring or band-like seal in between the cells. In animals, polarized epithelia have been investigated for decades and much is known about the genes and the mechanisms uh, that drive their differentiation. In plants, there is one cell layer that very much resembles a polarized epithelium, in both in structure and function, and this is the endodermis in the root of higher plants. The endodermis is an ancient cell layer, conserved in ferns 
and seed plants, though not in lycophytes and seams. And it is always found to surround the central vascular cylinder uh, in plant roots. The endodermis was first described by the German botanist Robert Caspery, who discovered the cell layer because he noticed some peculiar localized cell wall thickenings that surrounded these endodermal cells like belts. These structures became later known as the Casparian strip, the strip of Caspery, and they were demonstrated to represent the main extracellular or apoplastic diffusion barrier in the root of young plants. So the endodermis is like a gut epithelium, which selectively takes up what we have ingested. A root, by contrast, forages the soil in search of water and nutrients, which it then needs to selectively accum accumulate or exclude, depending on their concentration in the soil and their toxicity. It is the endodermis that is thought to be of central importance for this selection capacity of the roots, which, as you can imagine, is very important in determining where, whether a plant can grow on a given soil and how well it fares. Strangely enough, when I started my group, nothing was known in molecular terms about how the endodermis would build its Casparian strip. It was not even demonstrated whether the endodermis had indeed a polarity like an epithelium, although it has been postulated by some researchers that it should have such a polarity indeed. This changed very quickly when the group of Ma in Japan was able to demonstrate that a pair of silicon transporters in influx and in efflux carriers were indeed localized in a polar fashion uh, within the exodermis and endodermis of rice roots. And we could later on show um, that a pair of boron transporters uh, also localizes in exactly the same fashion. That is that the influx carrier localizes to the outer membrane and the efflux carrier localizes to the inner membrane. Therefore, we now know that the endodermis has a strict polarity just as animal epithelia have. Uh, but if you consider that plants and animals have independently evolved their multicellularity, it might not come as a surprise to you that the factors that determine and are responsible for the formation of epithelia and polar polarity in epithelia in animals are not at all conserved in plants. Now, you might find that disappointing that we can't benefit from the knowledge that has been acquired in, uh, in animal biology. Uh, but I actually prefer to see it as an opportunity to study how evolution has come up with the same with a, a solution to the same problem and to see how different or similar the solution turns out to be. What we noticed when we described endodermal differentiation and polarity with life markers was that upon differentiation, the proteins that are swimming within the plasma membrane became excluded from the site where the Casparian strips would form, suggesting that some highly scaffolded proteins um, would, were forming a lateral diffusion barrier. We then went to hunt for those proteins by essentially mining cell type specific uh, expression databases. And we were able to identify uh, a class of proteins of unknown function that had four transmembrane spans. So these little proteins, we could demonstrate that they are all apparently interacting with each other. And once they have localized to the site, they become highly stable and immobile, suggesting to us 
that these proteins are probably polymerizing within the membrane. And we were then calling these proteins the Kasparian strip domain proteins 1 to 5, or CASPs, which admittedly is not a very original name. The most important thing for us was that we could demonstrate that mutants of these proteins were displaying altered or defective Kasparian strips, demonstrating that these proteins are very important for the formation of Kasparian strips, so of the cell wall structure that seals the extracellular space. We now think that these proteins are responsible for localizing a cell wall biosynthetic machinery that will produce the hydrophobic polymer that will be able to seal the extracellular space between endodermal cells. It's rather amazing, but for more than a century there has been a debate about the hydrophobic polymer that would make up Kasparian strips. Many authors had claimed that it is made of zubrin, the substance that is the constituent of cork. And this made perfect sense if you consider how good a job uh, cork does in keeping wine from flowing out of a bottle, for example. But I hope you agree with me that another plant polymer would uh, just be as well suited uh, to provide a hydrophobic barrier. And that is lignin, the constituent of wood, which is maybe a bit less hydrophobic, but which is perfectly able to keep water uh, from diffusing. So our idea that it is lignin and not zubrin that makes up Kasparian strip also made a lot more sense in the context of a mutant that we found recently in a forward genetic screen, and that turned out to be a plasma membrane localized NADPH oxidase. What is important to know about lignin is that it is made by the oxidative coupling of phenolic monomers, which is the reason why lignin is such a sturdy material that is very hard to degrade once it has been made. What we could show was that this very specific NADPH oxidase localizes precisely to the point where the cusps localized, in this region where other plasma membrane proteins are normally excluded from. We think that it has to localize there to produce reactive oxygen species that will then allow to oxidize phenolic monomers that will polymerize precisely at the site where they should polymerize to form Kasparian strips. In order to oxidize the monomers, you do not only require reactive oxygen species, but also so-called peroxidases. And we could demonstrate that the little cusp proteins that we don't think have any activity by themselves uh, are actually responsible for bringing a set of such peroxidases to the site of Kasparian strip formation. We now have a much better picture of how Kasparian strips are localized and built in the endodermis. And we can already appreciate that it is very different from the way that animals build their extracellular diffusion barrier, the tight junctions. We have identified many more genes now that are involved in this process and they understanding what they are actually doing will keep us busy for many years to come. But I would like to close by pointing out that our identification of genes that are involved in building Kasparian strips now allows us for the first time to ask what the endodermis is really there for. How does a plant look like which, in which such a diffusion barrier is absent? How does it grow? What, what is its sensitivity to environmental stresses? Those are just some of the questions that our mutants will allow us to ask. 
And I hope that the answers to those questions will help us to gain a much better understanding of how roots do this magic trick of extracting what they need from the soil and why, in many cases, they fail to do so. You've been listening to Annual Reviews Audio. For over 80 years, Annual Reviews has guided scientists to the essential research literature in the biomedical, life, physical, and social sciences. Learn more at annualreviews.org. I'm Ana Rasquet-Paz. Thanks for listening.